We turn it in God's Word to the book of Romans chapter 5 this evening. Romans chapter 5. We're going to pick it up at uh, verse 12 tonight. Romans 5, 12, reading to the end of the chapter then. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so tremendously blessed. You have showered us with gifts. You have showered us with blessings. You have given us the greatest gift that you could possibly give, and that was your Son, who came to this earth as a babe, grew, learned, taught, and then went to the cross so we could have the possibility and hope of eternal life. But it didn't end there. Lord, three days later, you arose. And with that, you signed the death sentence to death. And now we have that promise. You sit at the right hand of God the Father in, my, in heaven. And we thank you for that. We pray for Pastor Bob. We pray that you will give him the words necessary to convey the truths that are found in these holy words of yours. Give him strength and give him clarity of mind. We just ask these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. And amen. Three things that we want to cover this evening. First of all, the creation 
of man without a sinful condition. Secondly, the fact of our sinful condition. And thirdly then, to touch upon the deliverance from our sinful condition as the Belgic Confession is going to go on to explain that deliverance in the articles that are yet to come. First of all, though, we need to set forth the fact that Adam in his creation was created without a sinful condition. That's what uh, we were reading in Article 14. That's what, what the, 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 the authors here are trying to get across, the fact that, that we were created in such a way that sin was not part of our creation. We can never say that, that the condition of sin is because God created man sinful. Now we establish that by looking at three things. One, that our creation is by God. It's not by chance. It's not an evolutionary process. It's not divine intelligence. Some cosmic force out there. Our creation is by God. Back in Article 12 of the Confession, we, we had this statement. When it seemed good unto him, giving unto every creature its being, shape, form, and several offices to serve its creator. There is no doubt that as we look at the historical fact of Genesis chapter 1, we have laid out for us the fact that God created man. As it's displayed for us in chapter 2 and the details of that creation of man are given to us. We see it unfolded before us in a beautiful way. How it is that God, God created. And if God is the creator, then there is only one thing we can say about the creation of man. It is good. God cannot create something that is sinful. God by his very being. It becomes impossible that God could create something that is tainted. That God could create something that is not good. That is not very good. Man has to be good. Man has to be very good because of who his creator is. Now, if you remove God out of the scene, well, of course, now we've got all sorts of reasons why man could be sinful, why man does bad things. It could be due to genes. It could be due to the fact of some bad amoeba back there. It could be due to some random ion. It could be due to, to chance. It could be due to fate. And that's the way mankind today wants to explain away sin. See, there's no personal responsibility. There is no personal accountability because we can explain it all away through evolutionary processes. But God's word testifies to something different. That man was not created with somehow evil inside of him, the seed of sin existing there. Man was created good without a sinful condition because he was created by God. Secondly, 
We are told in God's word that our creation is very unique. Not only unique in the fact that God formed us out of the dust of the earth, not only the fact that Eve is formed out of the rib of Adam, but that man becomes a living being by the very breath of God, by the very spirit of God being breathed into him. How could Adam have been sinful in his creation and in his being if God is the one who is breathing into him the very breath of life? The very account demonstrates to us that Adam is created good. We are told that in the Genesis account that Adam and Eve are created, male and female, in the image of God. The confession went into great detail to explain the fact that we are created in this idea of this understanding, of this likeness, of being good, of being righteous, and of being holy. If God's image is that in man then the image of God has to be holy. God's image could not be unholy. Man, then, has to have been created as an image-bearer of God without sin. That needs to be stated. That needs to be stated plainly. This is man's creation. But man, as Paul introduces us to it in Romans chapter 5, is anything but perfect. As Paul reminds us here in Acts or in Romans chapter 5, we are indeed sinful. And we do not enter into this world with some sort of choice before us. It's not like we come out of our mother's womb and now God gives us a choice. And he says, so what do you want to be? Do you want to be an Adamite or do you want to be a Christian? You choose. Which of the two? There's no choice given here. This is our unborn again situation. We are conceived and born in sin. We deal with, as the confession put it, a hereditary disease. Sin. That affects every human conceived being. One exception. Jesus Christ. And only He. Because He does not have His Father sin. His father Adam's sin in his conception. This is the, the new natural or as uh, uh, when I was visiting with Vern Haas and I said, how's it going Vern? How, how you doing? He said, well, I'm adjusting to the new normal. Well, what's the new normal? Well, I can't hear, I can't see. I'm having difficulty walking. That's the new normal. Well, the new normal for humanity is not being coming into this world 
and being born as a perfect human being that gets tarnished. We enter this world in the new normal as hereditary sinners. Sinful from the time of our conception. Now Genesis states that very clearly. Genesis chapter 3 portrays for us the sin of Adam. It tells us of the consequences of that. It lays it out clearly. But this evening, what I want you to do and to do with you is to look at Romans chapter 5, starting with the therefore of verse 12, where Paul outlines for us the effects of that. The fact that we're sinners, Genesis clearly states, the Bible clearly lays out before us. But what are the effects of that sin? When Adam reached out and ate of that fruit of the tree, when he disobeyed the commandment of life, what happened? What were the effects of that? Paul tells us here, in Romans chapter 5, that there were three effects. One, death. Death. Now that's reiterating what we're told in Genesis chapter 3. Right? Genesis chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter 2.17 came the, the command. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Adam ate. What happened? Death began to reign. Death began to take hold. And so when Adam lives his 900 and some odd years, we read in that genealogy of Genesis chapter 5, what? And he died. And what happens to his son Seth? He lives his 900 some years, and what? He dies. And he dies, and he dies, and he dies. The effect of Adam's sin is death. Death not only physically, but also death spiritually. The physical death took hundreds of years to play into. Although one could say he began to die the moment physically that he ate, God in his providence kept that physical death from occurring in order to populate the earth. But spiritually he died. We know that. He runs, he hides from God, he blames Eve, he, 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 he doesn't want anything to do with God. God's word, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 2, there is a time to be born and there is a time to die. This is the new normal. The new normal now for mankind is death, physically and spiritually. Paul outlines for us, in the fifth chapter here, not only death, verse 12, 
Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned, Paul also says there is also judgment. Judgment has come upon mankind. Man now falls under the judgment of God. Verse 16, for the judgment following one trespass. Every man is now under the judgment of God. Every man is now under the scrutiny of God. And as God observes mankind, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. There is an evaluation constantly. And what God's word testifies is this. There is none that is righteous, no, not one. This is the effect. This is what the Belgic Confession, this is what these Reformed believers in their day and age are standing up and testifying to. There is no goodness in man. Man is fully corrupt. Body and soul. He is under the sentence of death. He is under God's judgment. And as Paul points out, verse 18... Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. We're not only under the judgment of God, we are under the condemnation of God. Psalm 14, verse 3. For all have turned aside, together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Condemnation. Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Incapable, you see, of our own salvation. So we come into this world in the new normal. The new normal is we come into this world under Adam. We're not created in the way that Adam was. We don't enter this world and inhabit this world as infants as Adam did. We are not given the choices that Adam was given. The new normal is this. We're in Adam. We're under the sentence of death, we're under the judgment of God, and we're under the condemnation of God. Now, there are those who at this point raise, you know, they raise their hands and they want to claim their, their rational minds and their great superior intellect over God. They want to prove themselves wiser than God, and so they put forth the argument, well, that's not fair. And I tell people the fair only happens once a week, once a year, and it's held in Mars. Okay? The only place you find fair. This isn't about fairness. It's not about human understanding of fairness. It's not about human understanding of justice. 
Stop and think. What has the Belgic and what has God's word told us about God? God's word has told us and instructed us that God is the creator out of nothing. God's word has told us that God is the omniscient one. He is all-knowing. There is nothing outside of the knowledge of God. But not only is he omniscient, God is also all-wise. And he is just. What do we conclude about that then? If this is God, and yet he says we're all under this judgment, all under death, all under condemnation for what Adam did, what's the only explanation for that? Here it is. This is, this is what you need to write down. This is what you need to point out to that skeptic. This is what you need to hold before that, that free willer out there. If you were in the garden, you would have done exactly what Adam did. How do I know that? Because God is all wise, God is all knowing, God is all powerful, God is all just. And because God is those things, God would not hold me accountable for something I myself would not have done. Fact is, I think about it, I probably wouldn't have held out as long as Adam. I wouldn't have had to probably wait for Eve to say, hey, take this. I probably would have been, hey, she's eating. I think I'll take some too. I wouldn't have even needed that encouragement. See, God is just in this. God is wise in this. He knows. He knows exactly. If instead of Adam it was Bob Van Manen as that first created man, he would have been eating that fruit just as well as Adam. And so would have you. Therefore, in Adam there is a new normal. Death. Judgment. Condemnation. We are incapable of saving ourselves. There are many points upon which we in the Christian church disagree. Across denominational lines, there's all sorts of issues that separate us. But there is none more crucial than the issue of salvation. There is none more crucial than that. There are a lot of issues. You know, many of them I'm very passionate about. And I know you are too. But there is none more crucial than the issue of salvation. 
Are we or are we not capable of saving ourselves? Can I do it on my own? Can I, by my own will, by my own efforts, save myself? Now, what's the answer of our fathers in the faith in the Belgic Confession? It's repugnant to think that I, as a sinful creature, could save myself. You know what the word repugnant means? It stinks. It's an offensive odor to God. To think that I could save myself. Our brothers and sisters there in the lowlands of Belgium, by this statement, are certainly separating themselves out. Okay? Everybody who reads this statement understands what's being said. Because all around them, you see, are surrounded. They're surrounded by people who think there is the capability of doing this. Whether they're Catholic whether they're Anabaptist, or even as the confession goes on to state, those who think that baptism has some way, some salvation attached to it, as the Lutherans believed. And they're just standing out there saying, if you're going to shoot us, shoot us, but this is what we believe. If you're going to burn us at the stake, burn us at the stake. This is what we believe. Salvation is never of our own efforts. It is the most crucial issue for the church of Jesus Christ to get right. Now why do I say that? I say that because of this. Am I worried in some way that you folks are going off a deep end or that I'm going off some deep end with our theology of thinking our works save us or there's other possibilities or we're becoming Arminians? No. But let me track the money. Where are you giving? And I will guarantee you that many in this room tonight are giving to those who believe that salvation can be found in man. And that's where you and I have to pull up our reform bootstraps and say, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to rethink this. I got to rethink whether or not I should be supporting someone who is propagating a view of salvation that is repugnant to God. 
So those little pleads for help that come in, and those little letters that you get in your mail at home. Think about, reflect on, research. What do these people believe about salvation? And if I'm offered the choice of helping those who stand with me on the idea that salvation is never found in man, should not they receive the priority of that which I give? Faith of our fathers living still in spite of dungeon, fire, and sword. They're willing to die at the hands of the people who do not believe that salvation is holy and fully of God. And to my shame, I have to look at my checkbook and say, I've probably helped those people. It calls for introspection. It calls for thinking. What are we committed to? Paul gives to us the alternative. In Romans chapter 5. And the alternative to this death in Adam, this judgment in Adam, this condemnation in Adam, is through another union a union with Christ. A union that comes to us, that, that he refers to over and over and over again in this section as the free gift, the free gift, the free gift. See, I can't earn it, I can't think it, I can't reason it. All I can do is receive it. That's what a free gift is. A free gift is not something I've worked for. Dad, you've been such a good dad. Here, here's a gift for you. It's not a free gift. That's somebody acknowledging that I've been a good dad. A free gift is when I'm the worst dad in the world and there's still a present there. Because I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve salvation. I can't earn my salvation. It's a free gift. A free gift that comes to me through the obedience of Christ. Now, Paul, we're, and, and in the, as I said, in the articles to come, this, this all gets ferreted out. We, we go through it, and, and it gets pointed out over and over and over again. But here's where it comes down to. We often say that we are saved by Christ. And I understand what we mean by that. And I understand in our thinking and in our terminolo terminology 
that is true. But what Paul is pointing out here in Romans 5 is that my salvation hinges not upon what Christ did, because then all would be saved. My salvation hinges on my union with Christ. Have I died with Christ? Have I been raised with Christ? Have I been ascended with Christ? Am I in Christ? And that is what Paul's saying is the free gift. The free gift of God's grace. That he sees me no longer as in Adam, but he sees me in Christ. Father, thank you. Not one of us here is capable of saving our souls. you did. You gave us a gift of grace that unifies us with Christ. Oh, the riches, the wisdom, and the depth of your love. Lord, we look forward, the Lord willing, in the weeks to come, exploring the riches of Christ for us. And that being in Christ is our salvation. In his glorious name we pray and God's people say, Amen.